Hello and welcome to our fifth Beyond Brexit podcast. Although we call this series Beyond Brexit, this particular podcast feels like it should be called Brexit Has Begun as we move into a new era in Europe. To discuss this, I'm joined today by Kevin Ellis, Chairman and Senior Partner of PwC in the UK, Neil Sherlock, Head of Reputational Policy, and Andrew Sentence, PwC's Chief Economic Advisor. So Neil, shall we start with you? Now you've had a chance to reflect a bit on Theresa May's speech on the 29th of March. Um, what were the key takeaways for you? What new did we learn? I think very interestingly, it was a very conciliatory tone. It uh, reached out to people in Europe and indeed within the UK as well. I'll come back to the, that point in a moment. But I think very interesting, the tone was, we want to reach agreement, we want to do a deal, we want to avoid a cliff edge, we want to find a new arrangement with you consistently in the, both the letter and the speech and the follow-up interviews. The Prime Minister was talking about a, uh, a use the phrase uh, that she used, a deep and special partnership kept repeating that phrase, kept reusing that, talked about our closest neighbour, very much trying to land the message, I think, in, in Brussels and in the capitals. And of course, she'd spoken to many leaders overnight that this is about working together. This is about finding a new relationship because we have so much in common and reuse that phrase she's used before that we're leaving the EU, but we're not leaving Europe. Yes, so absolutely. the tone was yeah. important. Yeah, the tone was really, really important, very clear. And what about, what do we learn about likely next steps from here? Well, there's a range of things that will happen. Uh, Donald Tusk, who chairs the European Council, set out there will be some broad guidelines uh, that will be landed in the next, uh, in the next uh, few days, so probably uh, in the days to come. Uh, that will ultimately lead with a lot of sort of European uh, engagement to at the end of April, uh, the European Council meeting at a summit and agreeing the sort of mandate that will allow Michel Barnier uh, to start negotiations with David Davis from the UK side, and that will probably start, might start um, at the sort of in and around the beginning of June, uh, and that will sort of open up the sort of key discussions. Obviously, there's an overlay which is not to be missed out, which is the French elections. And the French go to the polls four times between the end of April and the uh, middle part of June. Two presidential rounds, two parliamentary rounds. So that will be, that could be a really serious moment depending who wins. And then of course in September there's a German election. So that will all play into the mix of how do the talks go and how do the talks start. And the Prime Minister and the government will be hoping the conciliatory tone is reflected on the other side. There clearly is the issue which will be, which could be difficult around the Brexit bill. Um, and that will be interesting to see how that is dealt with early on. But that means the Great Repeal Bill? Uh, well, the Great Repeal yeah. Bill, yes, the government, has, uh, the government will be uh, putting out a consultation paper about how that will work and will be seeking to, to put into UK law all the European law that we agreed as a member. Mm -hmm. And in fact, interestingly, the letter was using that as a further example of conciliation, i.e. we're going to have the same law, yeah. Yeah. therefore the gap isn't very big, therefore, the, therefore being able to agree. Uh, is very narrow in terms of compromise. Mm -hmm. and I think that's an interesting sense, yes. which we perhaps haven't always heard, frankly, from either yes, side. Yes, yes, so interesting. So still quite a lot of bumps along the road, bits more information is going to start coming out. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think it will be, uh, Michel Barnier has talked about a greater transparency on the European side. So I think a lot of these discussions, talks, and whether they're near in agreement will be relatively visible to people. And insofar as people are coming close towards agreement, I hope that will underpin uh, businesses being able to plan for the yes. future uh, and not everything waiting towards the end, which is the historic way that agreements have been done in Brussels. So this could signal, could, could, it's obviously not absolutely set in stone, but it could signal a way where there is some transparency, it is clear people are agreeing, and hence businesses can say, given that's broadly agreed, we can plan on that basis. Yeah, so that would be helpful. So Kevin, you're, you are running a business and you're talking to clients running businesses all the time. What was your reaction? I think business will be uh, pleased that they've been listened to. I think, uh, like the speech at the time this was announced, uh, there was definitely a lot of comfort that the fear of a cliff edge had been averted by the talk of the use of the word transitional period. So I think that's really important. I think this time around, as Neil said, the phrase conciliatory approach has been kind of laboured heavily across both the speeches and the letter itself. I think that is very comforting because anyone want running a business at the moment, they want certainty. And anything which leads to a cliff edge that won't play to certainty. And I think that's been picked up and I think it's come across. So I think from that point of view, that's a key thing. But at the end of the day, there is uncertainty because as Neil said, you know, we don't know. This is an untrodden path. This is a historic moment. No one's been there before. Um, and we don't really know what the outcome will be. And that uncertainty, you can feel it in any conversation I have with my uh, fellow uh, leaders across the PwC network yeah, in the yeah, EU. Yeah. You know, phrases around uncertainty, what will be the impact on trade? You know, the major export market for Europe is the UK. What happens with currency movements, which have obviously been quite significant so far and during this process of uncertainty could move around quite a lot. That volatility creates a further level of uncertainty. Um, what will our industrial strategy lead to? And also the overriding thing is, will this lead to a downturn in Europe? Europe has been, the economies of Europe have been improving over the last few years. This could be uh, a headwind. Uh, and that, that's a concern as well. And then I think the final point that everyone's talking about is the free movement of people, because we've been used to it. Um, our children have grown up with it. We were used to it over 30 years. Um, and that's not just from a business point of view, getting the top talent in the right places, which is important to all of us, but also from a tourist point of view, which is a major source of wealth and funds for us as a country, but other countries as well. And if that, again, becomes an impediment, that has a, an influence in many different ways yes. for countries. Yes. So that's interesting. So we do liaise with our European counterparts because this is a European issue, not just a UK one. Anything surprised you from the reaction of the Euro European leaders? Um, certainly, I think, uh, I think we're all pretty shocked by the outcome. Whichever way you're coming from, I don't think anyone knew that we were going to, you know, the, the outcome being that we're going to leave the EU. Uh, and the first reaction from most of the European leaders that I spoke to was one of shock and, uh, and actually a kind of feeling that the UK was divorcing them. So it's quite, quite a strong reaction at that time. I think time has passed. I think the fluctuation of time has led to a more understanding of this is a decision that's been made. But as the Prime Minister said, we're leaving the EU, we're not leaving Europe. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed it from both the trading we're doing with each other, the conversations we're doing. There is a kind of feeling of how we're going to manage our way through it, not that this is the end of a road. Yeah. And I think that's I think that kind of getting to ter come to terms with that has been really important. We've even seen it from our trading. You know, our pipeline, uh, which is quite a good indicator, you know, started to build back up in December. 
having been really quite tough over the summer months. And I think that was because business leaders were seeing Brexit as the backdrop yes. rather than the main event. Yeah. And that I've seen, that's been seen across Europe as well. Yes. So I think there is a kind of feeling that this is something that we need to manage and get through. It's not the end of an event. Which if it feels good, so the conciliatory, let's get on with this and make the best of it tone, feels like that will go down really well in Europe. So, um, so Andrew, when we've spoken before, you've been really clear that your prognosis will be dependent on a sensible trade deal. Has, that, has your view changed? Are you more optimistic, less optimistic, having heard the announcements? I don't think we can change our view at this time. I think uh, the basis for the view that we will get some sort of sensible trade deal is that it's in the interest of both of the UK and the rest of the EU. Um, the rest of the EU needs access to our markets, uh, particularly in manufacturers where we have quite a significant trade deficit. We need access to their markets, um, both in manufacturers and services where we're very strong. Um, there may be some more pushback on the services side, particularly financial services. Um, but I think at this stage, we, you know, this, this is the beginning of the beginning mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, yes. and we need to wait and see how everything progresses. And do you see any particular sectors that may be impacted more than others? Well, I think um, the key trading sectors in the UK are manufacturing and certain parts of the services sector, particularly financial services, but also IT and communications. Ourselves in professional services, we do quite a bit of trade. Um, I think the, the manufacturing uh, industries are likely to be, to some extent, safeguarded and protected because there's a mutual interest on yes. both sides. Yes. But financial services, I think, is going to be quite a battleground in these negotiations. Um, many you know, other European countries are, are quite envious of the position of London and our financial services industry. And so that is going to be something that they're going to be targeting, uh, not necessarily correctly, but it's, it's a natural instinct to try and target and try and benefit um, perhaps from their own national interest and try and attract business away from us. So that is going to be an important background in the negotiations. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil, I think there was, what was interesting about the announcement was a very clear statement about what we call the kind of devolved territories. Was that what you were expecting? Is that significant, what Theresa May said? I think it was very interesting that that was given some prominence in the letter and in the yeah, subsequent yeah. announcements. I think it reflects that uh, relations are tense uh, across the UK. Uh, the Prime Minister very clear that we're negotiating as the United Kingdom, but clearly there are views from the Scottish Government. Uh, there's a difficult issue to try and get, a, get an executive uh, to be formed within Northern Ireland, and there's some issues in Wales that the Welsh Government have put in as well. So therefore, very interesting mm. but, uh, and rather powerful that the Prime Minister made the point and re-emphasised the point that actually as powers come back from Brussels, there will be a sense that those don't go just to Westminster, but there should be more powers for each of those places to make more decisions. And clearly the government sees that as a way to try and show that there is a benefit to, to governments and those countries for more powers to take decisions themselves. How that plays and whether that uh, has an impact in terms of some of the uh, some of the uh, noises and some of the uh, senses of change that come from those countries, we'll have to see. But very interesting there was prominence given. Yes, yeah, so devolution has come back further up yes. the agenda, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. makes yeah. that point. 
So there's been lots of speculation as to where this process is going to end, Kevin, so I'm going to put you on the spot. So, so based on what you heard on the 29th, do you think the kind of worst case scenario will be trading on WTO terms? Do you think that's the likely outcome or would you see another outcome? I think as we've spoken about over the course of the last 15 minutes, you know, there is a real business need for a deal. So I think on balance, yes, there is always a risk. And I think the fact that there's a risk, the fact that there is a cliff edge of WTO, in a way, means it's more likely that you've got to avoid it. Yes. When you've got to avoid something, then I, I genuinely believe that there is the mood here for a deal. Yes, there'll be a pragmatic commercial deal is, is what I'm hearing there. Well, that feels like a really good place to end. So thank you to all three of you for some great perspectives. I'm sure we'll carry on this conversation in, in future episodes. You can find all of our Brexit content on our website on pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit, including a link to our forthcoming webcast on the 27th of April, where we will take some more time to really analyse what's likely to happen from here. Thank you for listening. Thank you.